Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. I will be reading verses 10 through 14, but the sermon will be on verse 14. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men? That you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, I grew up in a time, and I think we are still in, in those times where. I witnessed the obsession over signs, such as the signs of the times. Uh, Many have come along and have tried to pinpoint the exact time when the world would come to an end. But we are told that no matter what signs we are looking looking at, no one knows the day nor the hour of the so-called end of the world. Rather, we ought to be watchful, uh, not only of what is going on out there in the world, but also be watchful of ourselves, that we may endure to the end and be saved. But also, there are those who demand signs from God. There are those who demand that God perform Miracles right here and right now in order to prove his existence. They feel that God is obligated to them and they demand he do something spectacular to show himself as, he, as if he is uh, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain of creation. But I'm convinced that even if they were given signs, they would still not believe. So we are told they will not receive a sign. Yet all the while, God is a God of signs and wonders. God uses signs as guideposts, much like a one-way street sign, to reveal himself and his character to his people, to direct people to himself. We have in Scripture signs that have been recorded. He used signs and wonders to show his goodness and faithfulness to his people and to his covenant that he made with them as he saves them. An example would be when he parted the Red Sea for his people while they made their exodus out of Egypt, escaping Pharaoh's army. But in the case of Pharaoh's army, signs can also be used for judgment. 
Like when Pharaoh's army tried to cross the sea as it was parted and it fell back upon them. And this is what we see throughout the book of Isaiah. There is a constant two-step pattern of judgment and salvation throughout the book. And what can be a sign of salvation for one can be a sign of judgment for another. And so far in the book of Isaiah, we see the wickedness of God's own people and the judgment that their wickedness has brought upon themselves. Yet God still promises to save them from their sins and bring them into a new creation. And in that new creation, there the Lord will be enthroned. That is the vision of God that Isaiah sees in the year that King Uzziah died. He sees God enthroned. But when you get to the days of Ahaz, Uzziah's grandson, we see the Lord's intention from the beginning of the scriptures revealed in a sign. Ahaz was a wicked king who trusted not in the Lord to win his battles, but he trusted in his own know-how. He trusted in his own maneuvers, his own strategy. He trusted in his allegiance with Assyria to fight off his enemies, Syria and Israel in the north. And sin had been running its havoc in Judah's fellowship with God. Yet God still promises to save Judah and to destroy Ahaz's enemies. In this we can relate that sin has separated us all from a loving fellowship with God since the Garden of Eden. And sin continues to run its havoc in our own lives as well. Yet God is faithful And fulfills his promises to preserve his people and save them through his covenant. And to prove it, God promises a sign. And he challenges Ahaz to ask for that sign. Humbly asking for a sign would have been a sign of faith for Ahaz. So God challenges Ahaz... To place his faith in him. Saying to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. This suggests that he is to ask for a supernatural sign. A miraculous sign. A sign that only God can give. But Ahaz said. In his stubbornness, not in his humility. In his stubbornness, in his hard-heartedness and unbelief. I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. You see there? Out of his pride he wanted to sound humble. Why? Because Ahaz is confident that he will figure things out on his own. See, Ahaz belonged to the house of David, that is, Judah, or Jerusalem in the south. And God promised long ago that the throne of David would never be without a king. 
and the scepter shall not depart from Judah. God will protect and preserve Judah and the lineage of David as he promised. But Ahaz relied on his own plans with Assyria and did not consider God and his covenant to David. He relied on himself. He dismissed the challenge to ask for a sign. And so the Lord turned to Judah, since all of Judah had forgotten God. Isn't it so easy to forget God? We're in that season once again where uh, Christians are, some Christians are celebrating Christmas or, or gathering with family, and how easy it is. For us to forget God during the season. We believe that all of this and all of what we have is because of me and all of my hard work. But we forget that it was all God and how God had provided all of this for us. So the Lord turns to Judah. And the entire royal house of David and said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What is this sign? Well, it is described as a prophecy. And this sign is one of the most important signs in all of Holy Scripture. It is a sign that God's people were to look for with great anticipation. It is a sign that God will provide for Judah. It is a sign that God will be faithful to his promises to David and that he will keep his covenant. He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We see from this text that, one, the sign is supernatural. Secondly, the sign is a person. And thirdly, the sign is reveals God's intentions for us. First, the sign is supernatural. Why? Well, let's consider the vessel or the one who carries the sign. Who does Isaiah identify first and foremost? And what is he trying to communicate by identifying her? He says, Behold, the virgin... Who is this virgin? Uh, many have tried to argue that the word used for virgin means that he is speaking of just a, a young woman or a young uh, married woman. So in this case, the virgin is believed to be uh, Isaiah's wife. But there are other words uh, he could have used to speak of a young married woman to refer to his wife. Like a young married woman. In fact, this word is translated as virgin is never used in scripture to refer to a young married woman. In every case, it is used to speak of an unmarried woman. 
So here he is identifying this woman as being unmarried. And what does this unmarried woman do? Or what happens to this unmarried woman which makes this sign so significant? It says that the virgin will conceive. Will conceive. And if she is unmarried, how is she to conceive without it being immoral? We could ask the serious question, would this be a sign from God if it is a sign of sexual immorality? Would God place the hope of Judah and the hope of his people in a sign that promotes something immoral? Well, no. God is consistent in his holiness. He would not put forward someone who is living a lifestyle of unrepentant immorality because for an unmarried woman to conceive is against his holy law. It would have been considered adultery. So this woman is not only unmarried, but she is also chaste, meaning she has never known a man in an intimate way as the scriptures would normally describe a virgin So what is Isaiah trying to communicate by identifying this virgin? Well, he is trying to communicate that this is going to be something not immoral, but miraculous or divine. It is going to be something supernatural. It is not going to be a natural conception but a supernatural event from God. It is going to be a divine conception. That's why it says that the Lord Himself will give you a sign. So this prophecy is not speaking of something that will be fulfilled in the near future for Isaiah, but it will be fulfilled at a later time in history. It is not speaking of Isaiah's wife, Because she is married. And it is not speaking of Isaiah's children. He is saying that this virgin will conceive as a virgin. And will give birth as a virgin. Which is something unheard of. It requires something supernatural to occur. The virgin shall conceive And bear a son. Which takes us to our second point. Secondly, the sign is a person. The sign is a child. She will bear a son. So the sign is not just what the virgin will do or what the child will do. But the sign is the child himself. But the question you're probably asking And many who ask, who is the virgin and who is the son that she bears? As I've said, uh, many have interpreted the virgin to be Isaiah's wife, the prophetess. And and so this child must be Isaiah's son as it is fulfilled in chapter 8. He is named Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. I'm sorry if I butchered that. Um, He is to be there. Sign of deliverance from Syria. But they 
only find out that Assyria is to be their true oppressor. So they are called in chapter 8 to fear God and wait for the Lord. Why? Because this sign has not yet been fulfilled in Meher. The sign will be coming and the prophecy will be fulfilled. So in other words, the fulfillment of this sign is not fulfilled in Isaiah's children. When you get to chapter 9, the son of the virgin is brought up again. And his nature and his character are described. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is speaking of one who is both the eternal God and a child. A son who will rule and reign for eternity on the throne of David with justice and righteousness. This is not speaking of Isaiah's children or anyone else's children by natural generation. That would be blasphemous. This can only be speaking of one who is both divine as well as human. So who is this virgin and who is this son that she bears? Before we get to that, notice the formula used in the proclamation of the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. This is the same formula used in other birth announcements, such as those of Hagar, who bore Ishmael, and Sarah, who bore Isaac, and of the mother of Samson. Also, this formula has been used by pagans, To announce the birth of a pagan deity. But God uses it to announce the birth of the true deity. We see it in the announcement given to a virgin named Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. How is that possible? How will she conceive? It says the Holy Spirit will rest upon her. 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. The promise given to the house of David through a covenant made with David, the promise that Ahaz should have trusted in, was fulfilled in this sign from heaven. The child Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary, and he will reign as king on the throne of David forever. In response to the worship of Mary, many Protestants have lost appreciation for the significant role that Mary plays. Mary bore the Savior. He shares in her human nature, yet without sin. As our tradition calls her, and I say our tradition because this includes Presbyterians as well. Our tradition calls her Theotokos. That is, the mother of God. You're probably asking, why, why would we say that? God doesn't have a mother? Well, because she gave birth to the person, Jesus Christ, who is both divine and human, both natures were inseparably joined together in one person. And just as Eve is the mother of all the living, Mary, as she is called the second Eve, represents the church as the church is the mother of all Christians. This is why Jesus said to John while hanging on the cross, Behold, your mother. She was significant. She was significant. And a similar encounter which Mary experienced occurred when an angel of the Lord came to Joseph, Mary's future husband. But Joseph, unlike Mary, acted more like Ahaz because he doubted what happened and sought to divorce Mary quietly. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means God is salvation or God saves. For he, Jesus, who is God, will save his people from their sins. Unfortunately today, many so-called Christians no longer believe in the virgin birth of Christ. Uh, Some are only concerned with living like Christians but not believing like Christians. But this, this would be uh, living superficially. It is only surface level. Uh, my friends, the virgin birth is essential to being a Christian. Without the virgin birth, you cannot have the Son of God, whose only Father is God. Without the Son of God, you only have a, a Son of Man. Uh, Without the Son of God, you cannot have a sufficient and perfect sacrifice for sins. And without a perfect and sufficient sacrifice for sins, there is no atonement for sins. Means 
You have no forgiveness of sins. All this if we don't have a virgin birth of the Savior. At that point, it doesn't matter how you live. The virgin birth is necessary for the plan of salvation. Because that was his plan when he gave the house of David this sign. His plan was not only to save Judah from her enemies, but his plan was to save Judah from Judah. To save Judah from her sins. And the same goes for us. He will not only conquer the church's enemies, but he will also deliver us from the enemy within all of us, our own personal sins. That was the true meaning of deliverance throughout the Old Testament that God promised. And it was so that we can be restored to God and God may lead us back to Him. So we answer the question, who is this virgin and who is this son? The virgin is Mary and this son is Jesus. Because Matthew continues in his account by quoting our passage. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew gives the meaning of that name. And it means God with us. Which takes us to our third and final point. Thirdly, the sign reveals God's intentions for us. How? By what the virgin will name the child. She she shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The sign promises that God will be with us. Ahaz has failed. The house of David has failed. We have failed. But God makes provision for the failures. He provides a sign who will be born of a virgin and will fulfill and bear the name Emmanuel. But this name was fulfilled in various ways throughout the church's history. In a sense, God has always been with his people. For God to be with us can mean that he is guiding us to fulfill a certain calling or work that he wants us to do. He was with Israel as they won their battles and wars. For God to be with us can mean that he shows us favor. Just like the angel Gabriel told Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And he has always been with his people by his spirit. But here, what this name is trying to communicate is far more literal. See, God's intention since creation was that he would dwell with his people and his people would dwell with him. His desire has always been for a face-to-face fellowship and communion with his people. But sin got in the way of that communion. Sin snatched that fellowship away. 
So God made provisions for his presence, such as the tabernacle and the temple. He made appearances to his chosen servants in what we call theophanies, like the burning bush. In appearances as the pre-incarnate Christ in what we call Christophanies, like the angel of the Lord. His will is to be with his people physically. Emmanuel means that God will be with us physically in Jesus Christ. He will mediate his presence through his flesh. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has a vision of the Lord enthroned in heaven. But when you get to chapter 7, he promises through a sign that he will come off that throne and become a baby to dwell with us and to deliver us from sin. If you haven't noticed, we live in a fallen world. We are fallen ourselves and we face trials and troubles every single day. It appears as if there will be no end to our trouble. But this promise brings us much hope. We are caught in this limbo between the already and the not yet. Yes, God is already with us, but not yet. We do not see him face to face. We live in this fallen world that is filled with longings. Think about it. Each day, think about all that you long for and desire for. And much of it is good. We were created to long for and desire love, Uh, Food, security, health, life. These are all good things to desire. But life seems to be filled with just one big longing. One big desire for something to happen. Something to fulfill us. It seems constant and never ending one day to another. It, It is a vicious cycle. We're constantly wanting something else and we never truly get what we want. And many times we desire the wrong things and so it leads to idolatry. It distracts us and it blinds us from what we are to truly desire. What can truly fulfill our joys, hopes and desires And like Ahaz, in our sin, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten that God is to be our hope and our joy. That God is to be our ultimate love. That God is whom we are to put our trust in. And even though we have forgotten God, God has not forgotten His promise. He has not forgotten his covenant with David and made a way for us to return to that joy. He made a way to dwell with us once again. And this time, 
It is through a man who was once a baby lying in a manger. Just like Judah, the house of David was waiting for the sign to appear with great anticipation. We live our lives in great anticipation. As I said before, Advent is not just about remembering the waiting and the anticipation of the birth of Christ. It is also about waiting for the return of Christ. We are once again and always in this world in an Advent period of waiting, longing, desiring for this passage to be fulfilled for all all eternity. That this sign would appear once again, but in its full consummation. And all of our longings and desires will be fulfilled in Him when He returns. Have you ever wondered? How is it going to be when He returns? Where will we all be when He returns? Are we going to be magnetized? And drawn into his presence, surrounding him as he comes down on the clouds. What a picture. What a picture of when time and history will stop around the throne of David, the throne of God. What a picture it must have been in that manger when the sign appeared. It must have been like all time just stopped in the presence of God who took on flesh. What a hope we have that God will be with us. The question is, will you be with Him? Or will you be like Ahaz Scoffing at God, dismissing His word, dismissing Him, dismissing Him as He grants you a good promise of deliverance and true joy in His presence? Or will you be there to see Him face to face? That is His plan and His will for His people. That was His intention since the Garden of Eden. That he will be with us. For in his presence. All the troubles of the world. All the sorrow. The pain. The grief. The sin. Will be done away with. Our enemies will be gone. And we will have the true victory. In his presence. Every tear will be wiped away. And death. Shall be no more. For he has dealt. With death. This child will soon grow to be a man of sorrows and die for the sins of his people and put death to death so that we may be born into life eternal. Let us remember this good news as we wait for him again. Amen.